The Borough Building, Glasgow. Architects Alan Dunlop and John Munier talk about the building's origins, development and recent renovation and interventions. Part two, a thoroughly modern building. We talked earlier on in there about uh, the relationship with Glasgow and, and I was going to ask you, would the building be any different if it were not in Glasgow? I can't imagine the building being anywhere else, frankly. Uh, I mean, the, uh, the building is so grounded uh, in uh, the city and the site uh, and the collection. I mean, one of the things that's remarkable, of course, about the building is the use of the portals, uh, the great stone arches and gateways. Uh, Borrell, relatively late in his collecting career, uh, it coincided uh, with the loss of uh, eminence of William Randolph Hearst uh, in the United States. And he was able to purchase some of the much larger things uh, that would not have fitted into Hutton uh, Castle where his initial collection was established, but would fit into a much larger museum. Well, one of the great delights for us uh, was discovering that there was this rich array of architectonic pieces uh, that we could use. Uh, the entrance to the museum, the entrance to the so-called walk in the wood on the north. And many of the passages uh, end up in these beautiful archways. There, the museum is very different from other museums in the sense uh, many museums have rather grand spaces that you enter and then you go into a quiet little room where the, uh, the artwork is, is to be displayed. Uh, even Frank Gehry, uh, in his famous building in Bilbao, uh, did that. He had sort of rather grandiose spaces that you entered, and then you went into much quieter gallery spaces. We didn't make that distinction uh, between the spaces uh, of the building and the spaces of the artwork. They, they were very, very much together. One of the other big differences between this museum and many other museums, it is not a collection of rooms. Most museums are simply a collection of rooms. Uh, this building is a thoroughly modern building. It isn't a collection of rooms. It's a collection of spaces that flow into each other and intersect with each other and interact with each other. There are low spaces, there are high spaces, there are tight spaces, there are large spaces. Uh, it's it's a, a building uh, that uh, that really belongs uh, to the 20th century uh, rather than to the 18th century, whereas most mu museums uh, tend to provide a kind of 18th century environment. I'm, I'm talking about uh, other museums throughout the world are, are like, um, I've been lucky enough to visit a number of them abroad and when I walk through the portal or through the door, I'm always reminded of Louis Kahn's comment that some museums you feel as though you need a cup of coffee as soon as you walk in through the door. Um, never felt that at all in the borough building. It was always a delight to visit and to, and to take students to uh, just simply because of its relationship to the woods, which was absolutely outstanding. And its yeah. use of natural and controlled light, it was a delight to actually visit. Um, but um, can I say a bit, can you ask, say a bit more, please, about uh, your uh, Sir William Burrell's particular collection and how that began to, you know, define the building? You talked about the arches, the Hornby Arch in the 12th century 
uh, entrance arch, how, how did the collection begin to define uh, the organization of the plan of the building itself? Well, as I said, there were hugely different components that required very different environments. The, the polar opposites uh, are the stained glass. One of the things that I've always disliked heartily when I've been to other museums is that the stained glass is shown in a box with an artificial light behind the stained glass. Um, we decided that we were not going to do that, that we were going to have natural light come from behind the glass and the stained glass naturally then uh, went to the south side uh, of the building. The other polarity, of course, are the, uh, the, 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 the tapestries and the carpets, uh, which need to be embedded deep in the heart of the museum. In fact, at one stage, I had this great idea that one of the reasons people loved tapestries in the Middle Ages is because they stopped the cold radiation uh, from the stone walls. Uh, and I wanted the heart of the building to be a little cool so that you could sense that. Uh, the, the heating engineers weren't too keen on that. But, but that whole idea that the, the, the objects are not just to be looked at, they are to be experienced. Uh, in a very full sense. And uh, one of the things I often talk about is early in the, in, in, in the process, we were taken to the car barns in Glasgow uh, where the trams were stored. Uh, and they had chosen the car barns as the place to assemble the collection uh, before it was put in the museum. For us to get to know the collection, we had to go to the car barns and one of the great joys for me uh, was having a curator pick up a piece, hand it to us, wearing gloves, of course, and explain it to us. I thought, gosh, if that couldn't only be the experience that everybody had in the museum of being able to have a very direct relationship uh, with a beautiful object and have it explained to them at that point, uh, that'd be quite wonderful. One thing I wanted to mention uh, in the design of the, of the building. A term uh, of the competition was that we had to include three reconstructed rooms from the Hutton Castle, the drawing room, the hall, and the dining room, because those were the rooms where uh, uh, Burrell had initially uh, displayed the the, the, the cream of his collection. Like you, uh, I'm an inveterate museum visitor. And one of the museums that I'd often loved visiting when I was in New York was the Metropolitan Museum uh, in New York in Central Park. In the Metropolitan Museum, there is a room uh, from a beautiful house uh, that Frank Lloyd Wright had designed. Uh, and it's reconstructed in the heart of the museum. But one of the things that I really was unhappy with is that room had some wonderful windows, don't look at anything in the Metropolitan Museum. Uh, and so when we were asked to uh, reposition uh, reconstructed rooms in the borough, we wanted desperately for the room's windows to look into important spaces. And that's where the Winter Garden came from, which incidentally, of course, was also inspired uh, by the Kibble uh, uh, Palace. But the idea was that the room should gather around one of those wonderful indoor-outdoor spaces that Northern European cities uh, tend to create. Uh, and uh, 
So the windows were meant to look into the winter garden and draw light and view uh, through uh, into, into the rooms. I, I'm interested, and in, you talked about the positive elements of it and the integration of the collection, Burrell's collection into the building. And I'm wondering if there were obstacles, what obstacles you and Barry and Britt faced uh, when designing the, the finished building? If there were any, you know, I think the music, the the competition was superbly well organised, uh, and, and uh, the brief was a, a brilliant document. Uh, uh, we, for the second stage, were given full access uh, to the keeper and the curators and to the collection. Uh, we were housed in the centre of Glasgow and given all the opportunity to explore and enjoy Glasgow. So there really were no difficulties there. The biggest difficulty uh, we difficulties uh, we faced, and particularly Barry faced, were time. Uh, it was time, or the lack of it, uh, that introduced me into the uh, barrel competition. Barry had started on his own and was well embarked on uh, his design. Uh, when he discovered he simply didn't have enough time to complete the documents. And so he invited me as his previous partner to help him on that, as well as a couple of the students uh, in the school. Uh, and so it became a team effort rather than an individual effort uh, at that point. And then, of course, the second thing was we were appointed, Barry and I were appointed as architects uh, for the uh, uh, building after we won the competition. That wasn't automatic. They had to satisfy themselves uh, that we as a firm had the capacity to build the building. And so they hired us. Um, uh, but then uh, there was beginning to be problem assembling the finance. And as you know, the building, although the competition was decided in 1972, the building wasn't finished until 1983. Well, I'd gone on to other things. Uh, I'd gone on to other architectural work, had designed some buildings uh, for one of the Cambridge uh, uh, women's colleges. And then I'd gone on to, to the United States uh, where I began to assume um, administrative and leadership positions in other schools of architecture. Britt went back to Australia in 1977. So Barry had basically uh, to assemble a whole new team to finish the building. So time was, I think, the single biggest problem uh, that the uh, project faced. When the building opened in 1983 by Queen Elizabeth, it was almost immediately recognised, certainly locally, then nationally, as a very important building. And then internationally. Um, why do you think that was? Um, why do you think it had become at that time so renowned? Well, you know, obviously the the two things that that made it remarkable were first and most important the collection. I mean, this was an extraordinary collection by Sir William Burrell, uh, and an extraordinary gift to a city to give this astonishing collection to a city. But the building, I think. Partly nobody knew who the heck we were. I mean, we had come out of nowhere uh, to win the competition. So there was a little bit of newsworthiness. Uh, in, and obviously Barry at that time was really on his own in 1983. I was on the other side of the Atlantic and Brit was way down in, in, in Australia. 
And, and so that notion that somebody could come out of nowhere. Now, of course, we hadn't come out of nowhere, but for, for most people's view, somebody come out of nowhere and design a building that was very, very hard uh, to somehow or other come to terms with. The building didn't seem to be like other museums. The uh, there'd been a building done by uh, Foster uh, uh, in for the University of East Anglia, which is a very, very different building, the Sainsbury Arts Centre, uh, which was a typical sort of uh, a high-tech shed, very elegant, very beautiful shed. I love going there. Uh, but it was a very, very different kind of building. And this building in its particularity uh, didn't fit very well. But I think everybody recognized the uh, the power and the success uh, of the relationship of this building to its setting. Uh, and the what came to be called the walk in the woods, the sort of signature experience of the building uh, was something that everybody recognized uh, was almost unique, not quite unique. There'd been a building in Scandinavia that seemed to have some of the same uh, uh, interest in relating uh, to the environment. Uh, but I think that that really uh, came across. The, the combination of this magnificent collection uh, with this extraordinary site uh, uh, and, and a building uh, that managed to uh, accommodate both uh, the collection and the site. Next episode, Renovation and Interventions, A Curate's Egg.